And our passage we're looking at is in 2 Timothy. We have finished up Colossians. Uh, there are some concluding remarks in Colossians that I would encourage you to go take a look at. Uh, but we're going to have a, a free skate here in 2 Timothy. And then Charles uh, Dunahoo is going to preach. And then we're going to start a new series uh, two weeks from now. And I'll let you know what that series is going to be next week. Until then, let us look at 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The word of the Lord. Well, there's a lot of exciting sports things going on. I don't know if you've been watching the TV, but there's a lot of great stuff. The French Open, I'm a huge tennis fan. So has anybody been watching the French Open? Very exciting stuff. I can see you're all moved to tears as I talk about this tournament. Also, you, I don't know if you saw UVA loss in the NCAA uh, tournament uh, in tennis. Uh, once again, you're very excited to hear this news. Uh, but there's a host of other stuff. UVA is in the uh, Final Four of lacrosse, actually in the Final of lacrosse on Monday. You notice all of the trend of my sports watching, by the way, don't you? I know I'm a little bit biased. But I love sports, and I love this time of the year. But I was really bummed because, for some reason, I got my years all screwed up. I thought that this year was an Olympics year. Okay, I thought it was the summer's coming. I was getting excited for my Olympics overdose that they give me, only to discover that it's the year 2011, not 2012. So I'm going to have to wait an entire year before I get my Olympics rush. But I want to talk a little bit about the Olympics. I don't know if you remember the last pictures that we had of the Olympics, but it was in Canada, right up the road. And you remember that powerful scene where... Uh, Wayne Gretzky came in, you know, and they had the lighting of the torch. You know, it's something interesting about the Olympics. We think the Olympics start when they start the TV coverage, but it actually starts several months before with this thing called the lighting of the torch. So I went to my good friend Wikipedia as I needed an Olympics fix to learn a little bit more about this lighting of the torch. And it's the ceremony of what they do, and it starts in Greece. What they actually do is they focus a parabolic mirror on this particular area to set it on fire, kind of to symbolize the fire coming from the gods. And this fire is then taken in a torch form and it's run throughout Greece and then it's transferred to the host country 
whether it's by boat or it's by car. In fact, one time the flame was transferred by a radio signal going to a satellite and coming down and communicating with a laser which started the flame in its host country. And this torch is run throughout the entire country. You know, we think, oh, the guy who holds the torch is this famous person. You know, it's Gretzky or Steve Nash or one of these folks. There were actually 12,000 people who carried the torch in Canada over 28,000 miles. And most of the places that they carried this torch, you'd never even heard of. It was above the Arctic Circle in Iqaluit at 20, Belize, 20 degrees below zero and in Nova Scotia and all these far places where these random people, policemen, firefighters, normal people carried the torch until finally the torch came into the stadium and it was lit there by Gretzky and these folks to go ahead and start the Olympic Games. Now why do I take so much time talking about the Olympic Games? The reason is because as we read this in Paul's letter we're seeing that Paul is passing the torch. The scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy 5, 6 that Paul says that my time for departure has come. Paul is in prison writing to Timothy, most likely has received the order for his execution, and he knows that his time is short. And so he's writing to pass the torch to Timothy. And it's quite clear from reading this that Timothy is scared. He feels the awesome responsibility of taking up the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And wouldn't you be scared as well? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, who, who had the ability to perform signs and wonders as testament of his apostleship, who was so sold out for Jesus Christ that he was whipped 39 times, five times uh, by people for his faith, who was shipwrecked, who was stoned, who was in prison because of his passion to preach the gospel. And Paul is passing this torch onto Timothy. And Timothy's knees are knocking as he thinks of this responsibility. Certainly we can relate to Timothy a little bit as well. Because the torch has been passed on to us, hasn't it? To go and make disciples of all nations. To share the gospel in Virginia Beach. But we feel that responsibility and wonder if we're up to the task. Maybe we're shy or we don't know enough or where do I start who do I share my faith with? These are the things that are going through Timothy's mind right now. But Paul writes to reassure Timothy with this message. That Timothy, you don't have what it takes. But you have who it takes. Paul is communicating to Timothy to recognize that you are not the flame. You're only the torch. Your responsibility is to rekindle this flame and to release it in the world around you. And so that's what we're going to talk about, this fact that we do not have what it takes, but we do have who it takes. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, to recognize that we are not the flame. We're simply the torch. Two, we're going to look at how we rekindle this flame in our own life. And then finally, point three, we're going to discover how we release it into the world around us. So let's begin recognizing that we are not the flame were simply the torch. Now Timothy should have been a little bit scared because he had really at the beginning three strikes against him. We know a couple things about Timothy. Number one, he was young. Somewhere probably between 30 to 35 years of age. Young for a church leader. 
fact, Paul had to say to him, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example in your faith and your life. Two, Timothy was prone to illness. We see that uh, uh, Paul gives him this admonition in 1 Timothy 5.23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. It appears the Church of the Redeemer has taken that admonition to heart as well. And then finally, number three, he's timid. Numerous places Paul refers to Timothy's timidity, that he's naturally shy. In fact, if Timothy was here, he would be labeled by us as an introvert. But Paul does not dwell on Timothy's limitations, does he? He rather focuses on the spirit that is inside Timothy. Look at him in verse 5. He talks about this faith I'm reminded of which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you. Notice this word, use of the word in you. It's something that's in Timothy. And then in verse 6 we see, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, Paul is saying to Timothy, I was there when the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. I know that the Holy Spirit lives through you. And then finally in verse 9, we see that Paul says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul is saying, Timothy, you didn't choose God. God chose you. He came to you. He gave you His Spirit. He put it inside you, and it dwells inside of you right now. He's saying, Timothy, you already have the fire. I'm passing you the torch, but you already have the same flame that was in me. Timothy lies with this error of confusing the torch and the flame. See, he's so focused on the, his limitations as a, purpose, as a person that he's in danger of neglecting the very flame that he's been entrusted with. It would be something like this, I think. Imagine that you were entrusted with something valuable and powerful. Imagine a friend of mine actually got the opportunity to carry the Olympic torch in 96 when it was going through uh, to Atlanta. So imagine that you had the opportunity, that you were one of these 12,000 people who had the opportunity to carry the Olympic torch. And so you're there, you're waiting, and there's a crowd around you, and it's exciting, and you've got this torch, and a, here he comes running along, and he takes that torch and he goes ahead and he lights the flame and now you have this torch. And you're excited and people are screaming and this is fantastic and you start running. But all of a sudden you start to get a little bit tired and you start to get a little bit disoriented by the crowd and all of this noise and you start to get a little bit hungry and you forget what you're doing. In fact, you're not sure why you're carrying this silly flame thingy in your hand and so you run off the course and you head home. Now what if I was the next guy waiting for the torch to come to me, waiting for the flame and I don't see you and I know you, so uh, I run to your home and there you are in your backyard trying to light your barbecue grill with the Olympic torch. Now I go, crazy, what are you doing? You're carrying the Olympic torch, you have the flame. No, 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 no. Wayne Gretzky and Steve Nash, they carry the Olympic torch. I'm just Carlos Rodriguez. I'm a nobody. How could I have the Olympic torch? I don't know where I got this flame, but I'm trying to get my barbecue grill going. You see, isn't that preposterous? 
But don't we do the very same thing? Don't we forget what has been passed on to us? The same flame of the Holy Spirit that lived in Paul, that lived in Peter, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling inside you and me. But isn't it so easy to focus on our limitations? I'm too shy. I'm too busy. I'm too sinful. I don't know enough. I don't have what it takes. And all of a sudden, we're neglecting the very flame, the very Spirit of God that we've been entrusted with. Paul is saying to Timothy, and I am saying to you, that we must recognize that we're not the flame. We're simply the torchbearer. Well, how do we do this? How do we recognize this? Two words. Number one, remember. Remember, as Paul is recounting in Timothy's mind, remember that you have received Christ. How did Jesus come to you? Was it a parent that maybe shared with you? Or a friend that took the opportunity to share the gospel and you heard and you believed? Maybe a sermon from a preacher and all of a sudden it made sense. Remember that you belong to the Spirit and the same Spirit that was in Paul has been passed down through the ages and now rests in you. You see, we're part of the biggest torch relay on the history of the face of the earth that goes all the way back 2,000 years and now is in our hands. We must remember this responsibility. We must remember His grace daily through prayer and thanksgiving and reflection as we think on these things. But we must also replace. See, Timothy forgot about the flame for a second. And so he decided to start replacing the flame with something else. He started relying on himself. Maybe you, like Timothy, have confused the torch and the flame and you're looking to yourself and so you have replaced the Spirit of God with something else. Maybe it's materialism that you've put in place things to power your life, whether it's money or cars or jobs or reputations, these sort of things that you fill up your life with to empower your life. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's doing all the right things and being able to recount the Westminster Shorter Catechism in Latin if need be. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's all sorts of things I don't know it is. But we must replace whatever that is with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that dwells inside of us. Because we are not the flame. We are simply the torch. Our calling is to recognize, to rekindle, and to release this Spirit to the world. This brings me to my second point, rekindling the flame. Paul is saying to Peter, remember who the Spirit is in you, so fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. This word in the Greek, to fan into flame, means to rekindle the fire, to stir up, the inner fire. Is Paul saying to Timothy that the flame has gone down? No, not necessarily. Rather, he's saying to Timothy that you are the caretaker of this flame, and so you must build it into a bonfire. Well, what is Paul saying? Is he saying that Timothy doesn't have enough of the Spirit? Maybe he needs to somehow get more of this Holy Spirit to build it up. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Because the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. It's the same Holy Spirit 
who is in you and in me and in Paul and in the disciples. There's not more, there's not less. It's not an it, it's a he. So how is Paul saying to make this fire burn brighter? See, Paul is not dealing with the flame. He's dealing with the torch. See, everybody, every Christian has all of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have all of every Christian. Every Christian has all of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of every Christian. What Paul is saying to Timothy is to arrange your life for optimum conditions so that the fire can burn brightly. Have you ever noticed that the Spirit does not burn the same in every Christian? You can walk into a church and you can see two people, same age, same education, same background, and yet one of them you can palpably feel the Spirit of God that there's a warmth coming out of them, and yet the other person seems cool to the things of God. I'm not talking about mere emotionalism here. I'm talking about a difference. What's going on there? The difference is this person has reoriented their life so that Christ is the first priority in their life, and they're committed to exalting Him in all that they say and do. Paul is saying to fan into flame by reorganizing your life so that the Holy Spirit can burn bright. In Great Britain in the 1700s, we saw a spiritual climate of lethargy and apathy. All of the clergy were either too complacent or too corrupt to, to deal with this spiritual condition of their parishioners. But then two men came on the scene, John Wesley and George Whitfield. And the Spirit burned brightly in their lives. And they took to preaching the gospel, and an, an awakening started, the Great Awakening, as you have heard of it. Wesley alone uh, rode over 250,000 miles on horseback, preaching two to three times a day, preaching 40,000 sermons his entire life. George Whitfield would go into a field, and people would assemble to hear him preach. He could speak for a mile with an unaided voice. There were no microphones. In fact, one time he spoke to 138,000 people without a microphone. What's going on there with these folks? The secret, the secret of their lives was their commitment to orienting their life so that the Spirit of God would burn brightly in their life. You can trace it all the way back to Oxford and this club that they had called the Holy Club where they decided to devote themselves entirely to following Jesus Christ. It was because of their obedience and submission to God. Now, God had a special plan in their life, obviously, but that's what caused the flame to burn brightly. It was Wesley that understood the secret to impacting the world. He said, if a man would catch on fire, people will come from miles around just to watch him burn. You know, that's true, isn't it? See, you may have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Here are three ways to rekindle the fire in your own life. Number one, obedience. Obedience is the bed of coals that allows the stoking up of the Spirit of Christ. Joshua 1.8 tells us to do not neglect this book of the law, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to obey everything written in it. Notice what he says, everything. Not allowing for selective obedience, but commitment to the Word of God. 
If you choose to align your life with God's commands, the Spirit of God will glow in you. But disobedience is the first thing that will put out the Spirit's fire. So number one, obedience. Number two, diligence. Paul in numerous places talks about this metaphor of athletics when he talks about living this Christian life. 1 Timothy 4.7, he talks to Timothy and he says, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Paul is saying, prepare yourself like an athlete. Total commitment, total focus to Jesus Christ. Well, I, I thought, Carlos, that all I needed to do was to sort of get around in a campfire and sing Kumbaya and come to church on Sunday and somehow I would have this magical Christian life. It doesn't work that way, my friends. It is those who commit themselves to Christ who experience the power of Christ in their life. Here are three essential ingredients on the torchbearer's training table. Number one, diligently studying God's Word. We talked about obedience, but God's Word is the fuel that is the racing fuel that adds to the fire. In God's Word, God speaks face to face with us, and we are conformed into His likeness as He speaks to us, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us. But number two, diligently praying. 1 Corinthians 2.12 tells us, For we have not received the Spirit from the world, but the Spirit from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. As we come to the Lord in prayer, diligently being committed to it, we will be exposed to Christ and our wills will be more and more conformed to Him. Show me a brightly burning Christian and I will show you one who spends time in intimacy with the Lord. And finally, number three, worshiping making a decision that I will have no idols in my life save for Jesus Christ. Worshiping God, making Him first, coming to church and being a member of God's church. Have you ever noticed that uh, logs burn brightest when they're put together? But if you take one log and you sort of set it aside, it will burn down quickly. See, we are on the same team together, aren't we? Called to spur one another on in this walk of Christ. So we talked about obedience. We talked about diligence. And I want to talk the third ingredient, dependence. The truth is we're not obedient. The truth is we're not diligent. The truth is often if you ask me, I'd rather an 18-wheeler came and ran me down rather than me getting up to pray. But God's Spirit is within us. And we don't want to, but He wants to. See, the Christian life, I've said it a million times, I'll say it again, it's not hard, it's not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. We need the Holy Spirit. We must depend on Him, for His strength is made perfect in weakness. It was D.L. Moody that said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. And so we trust that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus as we practice obedience, diligence, 
and dependence in rekindling this flame of God. We are not the flame, my friends. We're only the torch. Our calling is to rekindle the flame and to release it into the world around us. That brings us to my final point, to release the flame. Timothy finishes, Paul finishes in this section here saying, Since you have received a spirit of power, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Paul is saying he's giving the call to pass it on. What happened in Pentecost Sunday is to spread like a wildfire, person to person, emanating out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Europe to North America to China, on and on and on. And we, my friends, are called to run the route assigned to us. See, we may not end up in British Columbia in the stadium like Wayne Gretzky. Most of us live mundane lives, have mundane jobs, live in mundane neighborhoods, living in Iqaluit above the Arctic Circle, 20 degrees below, no flash or fanfare. But this is the route that God has assigned to you and to me. And God does not make mistakes. Let me tell you two places where God is calling you to pass on the light. Number one, your family. Isn't it interesting to read of the faith of Timothy's family? This faith that resided in Lois and was passed to Eunice and was passed to Timothy? And if Timothy ever had kids, maybe to them as well. We see that there's a direct correlation between parent and child. This is not even, this is not only proven statistically, but it's proven scripturally because God's promises are covenantal and they extend toward the believer's children. We see this all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. I love Peter at, in Acts where the people come to him and they say, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who the Lord will call. Children have a special standing in the covenant community. They receive the blessing and the favor of God. They get to grow up in the church, hearing the word of God every Sunday. They get to grow into their faith in Christ. But what is clear is that we have a responsibility, if you are a parent, to pass on this flame. We do it through teaching our children. Deuteronomy 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Your children are watching what it is that you say. I remember when we were young and we were, uh, excuse me, younger, and my kids were younger and we were sitting around the table and uh, my uh, middle son was called upon to pray. He was probably about six years old and he started out by praying to dad. Because to them we are the picture of God until they grow up and realize that this is not true. We are called to pass along the flame. We're simply the torch. Here are three good times in your life where you may be able to pass along that flame to your kids. Number one, at the dinner table. Number two, right at bedtime. Something that goes on right at bedtime when their spirits are the most open to maybe hearing what you have to say. Maybe taking that opportunity, thirdly, to take your child out 
to Chick-fil-A once a week, once every other week, to talk to them about the scriptures and Christ and how they're doing. So we're called to pass this flame along to our families, but we're also called to release it where we work, live, and play. See, God has put you in exactly where you're supposed to be, in your job, in that new neighborhood that you've moved into, in that gym where you work out, to bring that flame into that place. You may say to me, Carlos, you don't understand. These are, these are dark places. God is not spoken of here. But you see, you are the human torch. And the light shines brightest in the darkness. The reality is if you were to look into people's lives, you would see lives of desperation. Everybody has it together on the outside, don't they? But inside, people are desperately looking for answers. Why am I here? What's this life about? Where am I going? Does anyone really love me? We are not the flame. We're simply the torch. Our call is to bring it into that area. You know, your life, as you rekindle it, will bear witness to this flame. People watch you. They watch how you live. They watch who you love. They watch who you worship. If a man would catch himself on fire, people will gather from miles around just to watch him burn. The scriptures tell us to let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. But we must also testify not only with our life, but with our words. Now you may say, I have no idea how to share my faith with people. I want to, I have a heart, but I don't know how to. Well, that's where I come in. Because June 12th, 19th, and 26th, we're going to have a special class after the service in adult education where we're going to talk about how to share our faith. Great opportunity for you to learn, and we'll do role-playing and all sorts of different opportunities for you to learn how to share that which is within your heart. And finally, notice that Paul says to join me in suffering. There is a cost. There's always a cost for that which is worthwhile, isn't there? There's a cost to take this message, this flame, into your work. What is that cost? I don't know what it is. Maybe the people who talk to you will no longer talk to you. Maybe they'll shame you. Maybe you'll become embarrassed. Maybe I don't know what it is. Thank goodness, though, we live in a country where you're not put to death for sharing your faith. But sooner or later, our time will come. We are to be human torches to hold up the flame, even unto the point of death. Paul says that for me to live is Christ, to die is Cain. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death and somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I remember someone that came into my life, a human torch. His name was Jeff uh, Mucko, M-U-C-H-O-W. I was 16 years old, working at a shoe store, and Jeff came into my life. He was a college student, 21 years old. He came in, and he was the real deal. He was on fire for Jesus, and I could feel it off of him, and he would come, and he would take the time to speak to me about Christ, and I was completely on the opposite end of the spectrum, arguing with him, having problems with him, but he was so gracious to me as he walked along and he brought the light. 
As I look back on my life, Jeff Mucko brought that fire into my life and passed it along to me. And now I'm passing it along to you maybe in this room and other people. We, friends, are not the flame. We're simply the torch. Our call is to rekindle the flame and to release it in the world around you. If your parents, I'll close with these thoughts, how are you doing? Do you have a plan to pass this flame along? We must be diligent to teach our kids. They'll catch it, and as you, as you teach it to them, they will respond. What about in your workplace or in your neighborhood? Let me give you three ideas of how you can bring Christ into your, into your workplace or neighborhood. Number one, pray. Make a list of people that you'll pray for, that you'll pray for them. You know, it's a noble thing to go to men for God, but it's an even more noble thing to go to God for men. Pray. Number two, pursue. Reach out to people. Reach out. Build an environment of trust with them. Take them to lunch. Take them out for a beer at night. Have them over to your home. Go into their home. Pursue them like Christ pursued you. And then finally, number three, proclaim. Look for an opportunity because God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power, of love, and self-discipline. I conclude with this. If you are a Christian, you're part of the biggest torch relay on the face of the earth. You have Christ's spirit. If you are not a Christian, I may have just passed the flame on to you. So take it. Make Christ your Lord and Savior and release him to the world around you. With great power comes great responsibility. Pentecost is on Sunday, but a Callowit is on Monday. Recognize that you are not the torch, the flame. You're simply the torch. Rekindle it and release it to your children and the world around you. And may the glory of the Lord shine throughout the earth. Praise God. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful truth that we don't have to have it all together because you have it all together. Lord, you're looking for weak people, dependent people, empty people, so that your spirit may burn brightly. Lord, help us to get over ourselves so we can get into you. Bless us with your presence. Fill every nook and cranny of our hearts so that it would overflow, that you would overflow into our communities, our families, where we live, where we work and, pl and pray. This, Lord, is our fervent heart desire. Make it so through your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now we have an opportunity to...